This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Hey guys, welcome to the Hero Academy podcast, the place where you can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes, people such as nurses, firemen, EMS, police officers, and military are all heroes without capes. I don't care about politics, only positivity and purpose. I only care about those that have chosen to serve our society. I believe in collaboration over competition. Here, you'll learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their purpose. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing, things that you could do to make some extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast each week, you'll learn from people like you that were working full time, but still found the time to create a course, grow a big team, create a coaching program, a large audience, or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories, and how they overcame their burnout that they were facing. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques. Carpe diem. Now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. I'm your host and coach, Super Dave. Let's go. Hello, hello. Welcome to this week's episode of the Hero Academy podcast. This week we have Cecil Ramble with one of the greatest names of all time. (laughs) What is this, uh, Mr. Rambo? What is this conference that you're at? So this is uh, the airport law enforcement, uh, you know, group. So it's uh, all the cops that protect airports throughout the country. All right. Yeah, yeah. I told you uh, my brother-in-law was a chief of uh, Long Island MacArthur Airport Police. Oh, okay. Yeah, he did that before I got before I ever got on. So he used to tell me stories finding. Uh, What's the craziest thing you ever found in someone's bag? Bag of guns? Uh, cra- you know, the amount of dope, particularly during COVID, we were surprised at how much dope was coming through the airport. So we're talking pounds and pounds of like gummies. And because California is legal, people think right. that they can just bring ungodly amounts of dope back and forth and you can't. Right, right. There are There are laws and there are limits. That's right. That's so right. how long do you have... How long do you have in law enforcement? Uh, almost 40 years. I started in 81. 81. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's been a minute. But I did take a five-year break. I worked uh, from 81 to 2014 in the L.A. County Sheriff's Department and worked everything from basic patrol to custody to narcotics to internal affairs a couple times. Um, I moved all the way to the rank of assistant sheriff and retired in 2014. Um and then I took about a almost six year break. I was a city manager, city administrator for a couple cities, uh, and then I got this job about four years ago. Oh man, God bless you, man! You kept yourself in good shape too. I, I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. You, what do you do? You run. You do push ups. What do you do? All of that. Yep. I run. Uh, I just ran this morning at six out here, and and uh, I'm in San Antonio. It's pretty humid, but uh, I ran yesterday at noon. Nothing crazy. Uh, I do. Um, you know, a lot of push-ups and sit-ups and, you know, some light weights at the house. And then I have like a weight vest that I use for push-ups and, you know, just, but I don't, I don't do anything crazy. I just, I'm very consistent. Uh-huh. 
Yep. Yep. That's what I do. I'm uh, very, very consistent with the calisthenics. I just, I train every single day. That's, that's mm-hmm. what I do. And I, and I never really go heavy. I don't go crazy anymore because uh, now I'm just trying to not get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. The joints can't take it any longer. I get it. You know, exactly. So. Exactly. So um, were you working during the Rodney <clears throat> King riots? Yeah, I was a, I was a young Sergeant back then. Uh, I was working on a Holly West Hollywood and uh, I was a Sergeant back then. Oh man. And then, um, and then after that, were you working during the George Floyd riots too? I was, I was the chief at the airport then. Uh, and so I sent, I sent a squad out and they got to experience uh, what quite frankly was at some points pretty medieval. I mean, LAPD had an ax get thrown through their command post. Uh, they they destroyed about a million dollars worth of vehicles. Oh my it was, god! It was pretty wild. So so you've you've actually worked through both. Which which was worse? I guess the George Floyd. Uh I don't think that George Floyd was worth worse. I think I think Rodney King was worse only because it was much more violent. More people got hurt and killed in that riot, mm-hmm. uh, and it. For the first time, because I was around when the 65 Watts riots occurred. I was six then. Okay. Uh, and I remember it was very close to my my family home. But in the in the 92 riots, there were other groups of people that joined in. And the news kind of sparked and prompted riots in areas that... So normally, like in a riot situation, it's kind of like Watts was self-contained to Watts. The LA riots in 92 was was all over the place. And it was really sporadic and, and it was kind of like people were putting out fires. There was a loss of command in the very beginning. LAPD didn't really have command and control and they were waiting for Chief Gates at the time to make a decision. He didn't. Uh, and it, it just exploded from there. And it literally started like in my neighborhood where I was I had grown up, like down the street from my house. Wow. So now n- now you see mobs of kids. Like I, I feel like those mobs of kids like the the looting the looting mobs i feel like that is an extension of the 2020 uh anarchy that was going on do you, do you agree with that or do you just like what's your opinion on that i think it's a little bit of of that and if you remember when social media became like a real platform they were doing flash mobs yes uh and so i think it's just an extension of that and then you have a lot of um, there's a lot of public and social media push about um, socioeconomic disparities. And so there's this, this idea that rather than destroy our own neighborhoods or rob our own people, we're going to go out where the haves have and, and we're going to, you know, basically rob them. Uh, and if we do it in mass numbers uh, and we're young enough, you know, the DAs won't prosecute us. And because right now there's a lot of, you know, DAs around the country that are relatively progressive that are not pushing incarceration or really punishment. Yeah, between between the uh, fentanyl crisis, not now it's Trank, the Trank crisis, and these flash mobs, and then and then you have DAs that aren't really prosecuting. Um, and, and I'm seeing a lot of juvenile crimes myself too. A lot of stolen vehicles, a lot of theft. Um, it, it's really a shame, but I always, I'm an optimist. So I really believe that uh, 
you know, everything swings back the other way eventually. And, uh, you know, I believe that it, it will swing back at some point. I mean, you've had enough time in law enforcement to see things get really, really bad and then get good for a while and then get really, really bad again. And do you do you agree that things do swing like a pendulum or do you think that it's uh, all downhill from here? <laughs> No, I, I think I think things do. Uh, there's there's going to be some rationality that almost has to happen. Um, people forget during the 92 riots, even though Rodney King was like the focal point, that was really peak year for crime. We, we came off the hills of the PCP and the crack and all that and the gang epidemic and the wars behind that. And three strikes emerged out of that. Um, and crime really took a precipitous drop. And even the crime going on today really pales in comparison to the late 80s and early 90s. And people forget that, particularly violent crime. Um, I think with these property crimes, um, you're going to see uh, some some stronger prosecutions for that and going after people in an organized fashion. So just as they're organized, task forces are getting organized to go after them and, and prosecute them on a different level. So I think that'll bring about some change. The Where I see us not really moving the needle forward is dealing with our unhoused mentally ill uh, mm. population. Um, we just simply don't have the mental health bed space. Uh, and so the real question is we need some policymakers that are going to really take a position where we start either forcing or implementing bed space and mandated, um, I guess, uh, uh, locked up or facilities where they have to go rather than it being an option like, like we have now. Yeah, because the one thing that I hear about California is the homelessness is out of control. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Uh, I think the whole West coast is that way. Uh, and, and the, it, a lot of it is based on, you know, some of the policies and um, the reality is the, uh, the folks that are being left to live on the streets, they also are dying on the streets and that is not compassionate. Uh, in my opinion, I'm only going to speak from my perspective, having been around a long time and seen it and really been working with the housing, the unhoused population since 2004. Um, there's a lot of reasons that people don't get into the system. It's fairly complex. Um, I spoke to one of our elected officials when they were running about example, Section 8 housing. So I, when I was a city manager, I used to have a Section 8 program. I get out of prison. I can't go stay with my children's mother because she's in Section 8 housing. It doesn't allow for parolees to stay. You can house me in federal prison, but you can't allow me to have housing once I leave. There's a disconnect there. Um, and I think, you know, there's some opportunities there that should be taken advantage of. Um, but the mental health piece, we are looking at, it's not just California. A lot of people want to blame Reagan and that whole thing. But we've had a lot of governors since Reagan, and we've had a lot of leadership throughout the country since Reagan. The reality is mental health facilities have um, really, if you look at like one flu of the cuckoo's nest, or you look, you can just look at all the news articles of all the um, insane asylums that were shut down because of just crazy treatment, because they just didn't really know what to do with folks. Um, I think it needs to be reformed in that aspect, and there needs to be some real um, discussion about mental health. Maybe there's a way to privatize it but have the government oversee it somehow? I, I don't know, because uh, you've been in government before. I've never been in, in government, but <laughs> it just seems it seems as if there's a less expensive, better solution 
if you can find a way to privatize it somehow, because we we've had so many people released from uh, these mental institutions in New York. It's uh, Bellevue and Pilgrim State. We and we they just basically shut them down and then let them free on the streets. And that it, it, it never made sense to me. It, it never made sense. And the majority of the unhoused homeless population is mentally ill. And because I've seen people try to help them and they just don't want their help, like Catholic charities attempt to help and they just don't want the help because they're mentally ill. Well, I think when you if you think about some of the mentally ill that uh, if your own family won't help you, it's because you've you've burnt out all those bridges. Right. So if your own people that really love you and care for you won't help you. and you are beyond help, that's that's one issue. The other issue about like Bellevue and all these other mental institutions is, I think that it's very difficult to understand mental health. It's very difficult to treat mental health. If you think about a psychiatrist or a, or a uh, psychologist, I don't, I get paid whether you get better or not, because, you know, unlike a doctor, I can make you well based on treatment. But with mental health, they don't really know how to make people well. Um, we really don't understand it. And I really suggest, and I'm going to probably, you know, I don't know who watches this, but I'll suggest this, you know, back in the late 80s when they started introducing ADHD and all these other drugs for kids, it's interesting that we have this explosion of mental, mentally ill people that are now adults who may have been on these drugs and we don't know, but I, I think somebody should do like a correlation to that, the, the administration of these type of drugs, because God knows you can't trust pharmaceutical companies. Um, but nobody talks about that. So what's, uh, how, how much longer do you think you're going to work? <laughs> you do know you what? I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'll divulge my age to your listeners. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, I'll be 65 in March. So do you age uh, out at any point? No, no. I think you just, you just age out because you just realize I'm getting too old for this. Right. Uh, I, I think that, but for me, it's more of, um, cause I lead kind of a little bit of a blue zone type of life, right. Uh, eating right, exercising, you know, surrounding myself with good people and, you know, that kind of stuff. But I do know that the body is not uh, immortal. And so I do want to leave some time for myself to actually go out and enjoy life, uh, and do some traveling and do some things. Uh, so I guess to basically answer your question, I'm not sure. I, I think my body will tell me, but I don't want to go when I have to go like that. You know what I mean? So I, we we talked about Hawaii. You've been to Hawaii a bunch of times? I have, yeah. And yeah. What's your favorite islands? Uh, my favorite um, by a pretty good margin is, is Kona, the big island, okay. which is actually the island of Hawaii. Yes. Um, yeah. I stayed there twice, and uh, – I was there just a couple of years ago, and the first time we stayed there, we stayed on the Big Island, and it's so diverse. There's so much that you can see between the uh, volcanic craters, and then they got some small rainforest, not as much as Kauai. Uh, when I was in Maui, and so we stayed on the Big Island, and then we did a cruise around the rest of the islands, and mm-hmm. I remember going to a beach in Maui. That was the largest beach I'd ever seen from the amount of sand to, so it, it was like a woods and then it opened up to the beach and the probably beach, went to big beach. 
It probably it probably was. It's but called it was, Big Beach. It was the biggest, largest beach I'd ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> like from the point of where the sand went back to the woods. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Well, on the other side of Big Beach, so if I, if you and I go there one day, as you're coming out to the beach and you look to your right, there's like a like a outcropping of coral lava and stuff. You climb over that. That's Little Beach. Little Beach is topless or nudist. And <laughs> every Sunday they have like a drum circle. Or so. it look, it's like going back to the 60s where you have like these hippies. It's it's kind of it's it's a trip. Do you have any connects in Hawaii still? Like uh, if 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 I did go out there and I wanted to do a face to face interview with some law enforcement. Do you have any connects in Hawaii? Yeah, I'm at a conference with a guy named Brian Marcio, uh, and he actually is, um, he's a lieutenant. I think he's a lieutenant, maybe higher ranking, but he runs the uh, Honolulu Airport Police. Uh, and so you can connect with him. Certainly. All right. All right, cool. So now I have a reason to go to Hawaii because <laughs> uh, the plan is to take the show on the road and I want to do this face-to-face with you instead of all of my interviews uh, up year to date have been remote and I want to take it face-to-face so that we can really spend like some quality time like just talking and you know talking about your experiences and it was there ever a time where you started to feel like a little burnt out like so I, I I'll take it two extremes was there ever a time when you started to feel like, I don't know if I can do this much longer? And was there ever a time where you like, this is the greatest unit ever? Like, what was your favorite <laughs> un- unit that you worked in? Uh, yeah. Looking back where you were like, man, this because I, I for me, I for me, it was the bicycles. Well, I mean, honestly, I mean, Dave, I've had like a lot of I've been around a lot of crazy stuff in my career. Um Probably too much to go on in this show, but I'll, I'll tell you that uh, probably the, the best rank I ever held was captain in the sheriff's department, because at that point, you're kind of a chief of police. You run your own command. And I was in charge of Compton and we had just started taking over Compton, policing them. And the irony of it is, is I was adopted from an orphanage in another country. My parents lived in Compton when I got adopted. So that was like my hometown, basically. So it was really interesting to go back and, and really deal with this um this town that is notorious throughout the country. Uh, and my goal was to, when Starbucks came to Compton, I felt like I accomplished something. So by the time I had spent three years there, by the time I left, uh, Starbucks was coming in, you know, and then later on I came back as a city manager and, you know, it was, it's, it's, so that was great, you know, so. And then the, when was like the most stressful time on the job for you? Oh God. So, all right, I'll have to confess. So I've been in, I've been involved in several shootings, right? So one of them was a uh, at least one was a friendly fire shooting, and, and uh, I actually shot a partner of mine when we were working dope. Oh my and, god! Uh, we were it, it. You just had to be there, but that was probably that was a defining moment in my life, whether I was going to stay in law enforcement or not. And uh, you know, we're still friends to this day. In fact, I gave him a job when I was in Compton later on, um, doing a. Uh, as a retiree, he does, he runs security and parking and all that. But so that was really stressful. And then also when I was working dope, uh, about a third of the bureau went to federal prison. Oh my uh, God. <laughs> and those guys were doing, you know, when later on when you, cause you never know when you're in this big unit, you never know. And you're like, Oh, did you hear about so-and-so you hear about so-and-so? And you're like, so you, and I, and the guy, 
the sergeant who went was my patrol sergeant. Uh, and uh, so he was kind of like, a, they were old SWAT guys. And, you know, so these were like OG dudes in the department back then. This is like the 80s. So they came on like in the 70s and 60s. Right, right. Vietnam vet dudes, crazy as the day is long, right? And uh, when they when they got popped, you know, there was just so much going on back in the 80s, like during the Miami Vice days of dope. That's when I was working dope. And, you know, cops are going down for stealing. People were getting killed. It it was just it was crazy. And so the only thing um, that I remember is the Rampart scandal. The mm-hmm. that's the Los Angeles gang team, right? Yeah, and that was way in that was way after our team. You know, our team was in the eighties. Rampart was like the mid nineties. Yes, right? yes, yeah. You know, yeah, that so. was just before I got on because I I didn't get on until ninety eight. So oh okay, like oh, you missed all the fun. I know crack was dying down. <laughs> Like uh, crack was dying down and, uh, you know, pills started to pick up and then heroin took off. But yeah, when I first came on, people were still selling crack out in the open, but it's nowhere near what it used to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, nowhere was, near. Like I, I yeah. knew that it was dying. It was a dying breed. Yeah. Like the movie Clockers. Right. So all of that stuff was going on when I was working dope, you know. So. And then the um, and then I I watched a little bit of uh, I watched the whole seasons of uh, Snowfall, which all takes place in California, and uh, just the amount of drugs that was moving through California during those years when you were in those like the eighties, the whole the whole eighties and nineties, the amount of cocaine that was moving through California is just like mind blowing. Dude, so that 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 show portrays a cat named Ricky Ross, right? And uh, so when Ricky got out of prison, because Ricky was supposed to do life, right? I'm a division chief uh, running all of gang operations and some other stuff in L.A. Who calls me up? I don't even know this cat, right? Now, when I was working dope, I was chasing Ricky. Never met him, never saw him, never caught him. And uh, Ricky gets released out of prison. He calls me up and goes, hey, man, hey, Rambo. I go, who is this? He goes, this is Rick Ross. I go, Get the F out of here, man. What are you, why are you calling me? He says, man, everybody tells me you're the guy to talk to, man. I, I don't want to work in the jails. I want to talk, keep your brothers from getting arrested and blah, blah, blah. You know, and if you ever see Ricky, Ricky is like five foot three. Wow. All of like 110 pounds. Little dude. You know, I was like, wow. But that's, uh, that's the, the rapper Rick Ross took his name from. No, no, no. This is the Ricky Ross. Dope dealer Ricky Ross and Freeway Rick is what they called him here in L.A. Freeway or in Rick. L.A. Yeah, Freeway no, but Rick. I'm and saying I'm saying the guy from the... I'm saying the guy from Florida. He got his name from from the guy in California. I think. Oh, I thought that was his real name, Ricky Ross. No, no, Rick Ross. <laughs> no, uh, wasn't he a probation name. officer or something like that? Corrections, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fifty yeah. Cent exposed him. <laughs> <laughs> People forget, yeah, though. Yeah. You know, people have short memories. Yeah, but Rick called me because I have, you know, I never really left the inner city because I grew up there. Like, so I knew Tookie Williams and all these guys growing up, right? And so I never really left the, the hood, and I, I have a house there to this to this day, and I have friends and relationships with people that I just know. Um, and so he called me up and said, Hey man, I hear you, the guy that, you know, is connected to the community. You know, you, you kind of help people out and blah, blah, blah. You know, can you get me into custody and talk to people? So 
you know, that kind of made me feel good because it made me feel like, you know, I'm working both sides of the fence. I'm trying to keep people out of custody. But at the same time, I will take your ass to jail, you know, if, if, if it gets like that. You know what I mean? So he wanted to go in to speak to the jails. Is that what he wanted to do? Yeah, we had an intervention program. Um, so we would go in, I would go in and, and some of us would go in and we'd, uh, we'd bring in people that would come in and talk to folks, you know, especially the younger guys that are just kind of doing first time offenses and that kind of stuff, just to kind of keep them from coming back. Yeah. Right. And so you got to do now Rick Ross, who's infamous freeway, Rick, he's coming in telling you, Hey man, don't follow my path. You know, I dodged a lifetime bullet and shit by coming, you know, by the grace of God, you know, but you know, at the end of the day, the sheriff didn't really uh, didn't really the sheriff was elected in L.A. County. And he didn't really want to risk that politically. So but uh, I, I just thought that that that's an interesting story that people probably don't think about. You know, some dude gets out of prison after damn near doing life or was going to get life, calls up a division chief in the sheriff's department and, and wants to work with them. You know, it's kind of kind of crazy. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So we got to do a part two. In, uh, in, in person, face to face, I'll fly out to you, and then we'll fly out to Hawaii together. <laughs> uh, if you could, if you right. could squeeze in, I, I know you're a busy, busy man. So if you could squeeze in the time, uh, I give you plenty of advance notice, and then I'll, I'll expect that I'll probably be going on my own anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I got, I got extra room at the cribs, so and you can come out and stay at the house for free. You know, so. Oh, back to the back to the dealers. Was there anybody that was like uh, on America's Most Wanted that made it out of the drug game? Because it seems it seems everyone either ended up dead or in jail, and that's pretty much the message. But I know not every single person got caught, and some people were able to stash their money. Was there was there because it's it's such a it's such a deadly game, but yeah. But I know there's some people like the way Snowfall portrayed Ricky Ross was that he was smart with his money mm-hmm. and he was investing it because um, he had so much money. He was investing it and buying legitimate things. But I, I, I'm i sure that's like the one percent of the one percent. Well, that's called money laundering, too. So that yes. that's how they they launder their money by buying legitimate stuff. Look, if you look at. Uh, Narcos Mexico, or you look at the Narcos serial net, series on Netflix, all of those those cartel members, a lot of some, well, I would say a lot, many of them surprisingly are still alive. So yes, there are people out there making billions of dollars because in Mexico, the, everybody's involved, the government, the cops, the federales, everybody's involved. And, and it really boils down to, Hey, Dave, do you want to be involved in this game? You're like, ah, I, I can't do that. Okay, well, I mean, this is a picture of your family. You know, this is where they go to school. I mean, the choice is yours, you know. Yep. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's it's a uh, – so there are people out there, yes, that, that have survived. In terms of the African-Americans that I was chasing back in the day, I don't – I'm sure there are some, but many of them ended up in jail at some point um, and, uh, uh, and have been – come out since uh and i've even worked with them as gang interventionists later on which is a whole nother irony so uh, as uh i as soon as soon as we get done i'm gonna have to look up free ray ricky ross because i've never seen what the real guy actually looks like but does he tell the story of working with the cia also does is that his story 
I think he does. I think he, not with the CIA, but dealing with, so, you know, these guys had Colombian cartel connections, right? You know, so they were, and, and the only reason the Colombian cartel dealt with them, I'm sure, is because they can move enough weight to even make it worth their while. Right. You know, so, um, but that whole freeway rig stuff and, and all the, the stuff with um, the cartel connections with, you know, maybe not, I wouldn't say the LAPD, but the government, U.S. government, and all that. I mean, I can't help but think there might be some scintilla of truth to that, but, you know. What a wild story. Oh, my God. <laughs> and and <laughs> you see my up. you see my flag. I, I love this country. I remember yeah. uh, growing up watching uh, Mike Tyson fights and um, Don King waving the flag, you know, and he would say, only in America. Only in America. Great, greatest country in the world. Only in America can a guy like me. And, you know, he went to prison for uh, murder. 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 Yeah. Came out and then yeah. became a boxing promoter. <laughs> right. Yeah, you should check out. I mean, when you talk about the U.S. government, I don't want to get into too, too much of that stuff because I do a lot of um, history stuff. So look up. So Dulles was the, the head of the CIA, right? The guy is named after, you know, Dulles Airports. There's a there's a documentary on Dulles and um, uh, the, the term Banana Republic, right? And so just kind of take a look at the the uh the fruit the fruit wars in south america and how that came about in dulles's connection to that actually the u.s government's connection to it did you know and uh i'll, I'll say this again i absolutely love our country uh only in america but did you know that 90 percent of the u.s history we've been involved in some kind of armed conflict oh yeah look look up that stat that's a crazy crazy statistic yeah, like our yeah. our primary export is weapons, <laughs> but but politically speaking, you know, publicly speaking, it's where you know we're 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 all against that, right? Yeah. You know? Well, I I really do believe that uh, you have to carry a big stick, walk quietly, and carry a big stick. So I understand some of the things that we got involved with, um, you know it's always up for debate if we should ever be policing the rest of the world or, but like world war two, uh, we were the country that was stood in, you know, we stood at the forefront and we stood in the way of Hitler and Japan taking over the world. Well, I mean, we, we also, if you know, you know, your history, we were reluctant to even get in the war and Roosevelt um, was secretly working with Churchill uh, because it wasn't popular for us to get involved in that war uh, as American citizens. Yeah. Um, and all world wars start in Europe. Yeah. Just like probably the next one's going to start because of <laughs> European activity, right? You know, and we we somehow are, are somehow involved, right? Because we are supplying the Ukrainians with their weapons and their our number one, Our that. number one export. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, number one export. But... Um... Yes, they do start in Europe, but the benefit of keeping soldiers in the Middle East, and I've talked to a lot of soldiers who have said this, and I, I understand their point of view, is that we don't have to fight conflicts on our soil. So if they start over there, let's keep it over there. And if there's a conflict in the Middle East, let's keep it in the Middle East and not have to fight on U.S. soil. 
I don't know that we, I mean, if you look, look at us geographically, the, the United States is, is perfectly poised because we have friendlies to the North and the South. You know, if we were uh, Israel, for example, all of us would be soldiers right out of high school, yep. men and women, right? Like they are over there. So I think we have the advantage of having two oceans on the East and West, and then we have friendlies to the North and South, uh, which is why if, when you look at Russia's position, so imagine if Russia made uh, Mexico communist and was going to put missiles in Mexico, we yep. would be fighting that tooth and nail. Yes, right? we Just would. like we did Cuba. Yep. Or imagine if Russia made China their enemy, you know, the biggest country that's to their east. Right. The largest nation. So that's why it's in their benefit to always be partners with China. Yeah. 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 And it's natural resources and all that, too. China's I think China's economy is is collapsing. We just don't know it. Uh, But then again, you know, they put out propaganda about us. We put out propaganda about them. But I do think there's some things happening in China that are that may, you know, push their leaders to do some desperate things to kind of keep their economy afloat. I've heard uh, similar reports. Have you ever been to any of the Asian countries like uh, Japan or China or uh, Thailand? I've been to Korea. Uh, I'm from Korea, but I've been there. Uh, I've been back since as an adult. Okay. I've never been to Korea. It's on the list. Um, I want to take some dance classes in Korea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So, I mean, you know, it's, uh, but I mean, you know, Asia is a whole nother ball of, ball of wax, right? I mean, everything is about um, natural resources, be it oil, natural gas, uh, in the case of Taiwan, computer chips, whatever, right? I laugh when people say that uh, electric batteries are not sustainable um, because I actually looked it up to see if there was enough cobalt to supply the entire world. And there, there is. But it, even if we don't use cobalt, I read an article that, that said Japan is working on a bad Toyota is working on a battery that will last 6000 miles before it's needing a recharge. So. Whenever people say, "Oh, that's that's just a fad," or it's because I remember hearing that hip hop was a fad. <laughs> I remember growing up and people talking about Run DMC. Oh, that that'll die out. It's just a fad. It's not real music. And it's like some people can't see what's right in front of them. Like we're moving away from fossil fuels. A lot of countries, a lot of uh, automakers have pledged. 2030 2035 and i consider myself an early adopter of things yeah they may not be perfect right now and you may have uh you know some child children child labor in africa that are digging out cobalt right now but i truly believe that that is the future and that's you know as we move towards that the technology will get better and you won't necessarily have impoverished nations, um, you know, digging for cobalt anymore. I think, uh, you know, they'll probably decide to go in another direction. Maybe. And I think, you know, when we look at when we look at mining, we also look at it um, on dry land. I mean, there's uh, when you look at the earth itself, a lot of it is covered by water. And there's the same things that are underneath the earth 
on dry land is underneath the earth in the ocean. And and, so, and asteroids as well. Right, right. So I, I think I think you have a point. Um, my only concern about um, electric is so you have the enterprise of, of um, obsolescence. And so if I have a 6,000 mile battery, why would I market that when I can just keep selling you 300 or 400 mile batteries and make you have to keep, you know, paying my paying me. Right. You know, so. uh, Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I, I, I understand um, forced obsolescence, but iPhone keeps making new phones every year. And I think if they keep making new cars, people will buy them, especially if you just like want the new style car, you know, cars are a little different than a phone, but phones are really expensive right now. Phones are a thousand, eleven hundred bucks a phone. Electric cars are expensive. They right? are. They are. You but know? Tesla just uh, dropped the price of the Model 3. So I think as they become more popular, prices will go down. Well, yeah, I, I, they almost have to. But if you're going to if you're going to really push the world uh, or let's say the United States to electricity, um, you got to really upgrade your grid. Um in areas that have power outages, like in California, you know, we, at one time they were pushing the electric car and then, you know, we have brownouts. And so the the governor can't come on the air and say, you know, we need you to not charge your car because we don't have enough to supply the grid. How are you going to get to work? I mean, so now I'm thinking I'm more of an advocate for hybrid vehicles rather than all electric because I don't want to get stuck. Um, At some point, and they're like law enforcement cars. We can't not, we can't not be able to go. So yeah. all your emergency services and all those vehicles have to either be hybrid or or some type of um, petroleum vehicle. I think um, there'll and- be a uh, battery charge pack that you can just, you know, zap it and it'll juice up in less than five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Again, if you because you have a lot of bolts coming through, like you push a 220, it's going to charge up much faster or like the high powered bolt voltage uh, that Tesla has. But the other issue is, you know, progressive politics is also regressive tax on. on so the very people that progressives try to help, it hurts them. So as I raise uh, this threshold for for uh, non-petroleum vehicles, the people that they can't, you know, poor people can't afford that. They can't afford the vehicle. They can't afford the electricity. Um, the solution so is to has- uh, get rich. <laughs> <laughs> or or some well, but again, they rail against that, right? You know, yeah. I, I've worked with progressives who don't even believe there should be billionaires, and no matter how much you tell them, look, money is not a finite piece of pie where you have more and I have less. It's infinite. It's yes. infinite. You just got to you know go for it, and uh, it, you know. So it, it, I think there there needs to be some discussion about how um, progressive policies can sometimes hurt the the very people they're trying to help. Yeah, I've talked politics more with you than anyone else that I ever have, only because (laughs) of the amount of time that you've had on the job. You've seen so many ups and downs and swings. Uh, It's it's very interesting to get your perspective on things. I respect your time, so I'm going to let you go. But I promise we'll do a part two and, uh, you know, we'll just talk about your career a little bit more and all the things that, uh, you know, some of your favorite things that you've done. And uh, like I said, Cecil, I really, 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 really respect your time getting tongue-tied. And um, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and stay safe out there. 
All right, Dave, I appreciate the invite. So anytime. Talk to you soon. Later. All right. All right, family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of this story. And I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at davidleith, the number one. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.